its plain tails. The cock that never flew. When we think of aircraft that never made it into the air, there are a few that come to mind. The Spruce Goose, although technically it did. The Boeing 2707, an attempt to develop a commercial supersonic transport that suffered from design and material issues, which led to funding being removed. NASA's high-speed civil transport, which was also cancelled and the WE-125, an aircraft powered by a nuclear reactor that fell by the wayside after a billion dollars had been sunk into the engine design alone. There are only a few of us that will, perhaps, recall the cock that never flew, or, to give it its full name, the Colditz cock. Kolditz is a town about 100 miles southwest of Berlin in Germany. On a hill overlooking the local dwellings is an impressive castle built in 1014 and boasting some 700 rooms. It was used as a hunting lodge until it was converted to an asylum in the 1800s. At the beginning of World War II, Hitler had converted it into a labour camp for his communist enemies. But later it housed a special class of POW, prisoner of war. The prisoners who were housed there were considered especially troublesome, having attempted to escape many times from their previous camps. The problem for the guards was that, although Kolditz was a formidable place, an apparently impregnable fortress stuck up on a rocky outcrop. It was inherently unsuitable for its job as a maximum security prison. The place was a labyrinth of tunnels and passageways, many unknown to the Germans. Placing what was a university faculty of escape expertise in one place led to some audacious attempts to get out, many of which were successful. It was a potentially deadly game played with the knowledge that some who were recaptured might be executed. This didn't prevent some British men from strolling out dressed as German officers even reprimanding a soldier for not saluting on the way. However, perhaps the most audacious and outlandish escape plan involved the Colditz cock. Bill Goldfinch was an RAF Sunderland pilot with 228 Squadron. He had been involved with the evacuation of Greece and after managing to get airborne out of Kalamata, whilst heavily overloaded with 72 men, a takeoff that took a five-mile run, he was returning in the dark when he struck something in the water and his aircraft sank. Only four of the crew of ten survived and Bill himself was badly injured and taken to a military hospital where he met Jack Best, also a pilot. The hospital was soon captured by the Germans, but Bill and Jack became firm friends and shared many escape attempts together. It was a snowy day in 1943, the month of December, 
when Bill Goldfinch noticed that the snowflakes outside his window were drifting towards the roof in an updraft. He gazed at them watching, and the thought passed through his mind, as might have passed through many of us who fly, and we may have considered the same thing as Bill, but perhaps not while incarcerated in a prisoner of war camp. Would it be possible, he thought, to use those updrafts to help to escape in a glider? He enlisted the help of his friend Jack, and they started to work on a plan. The prison library helped when they located a two-volume work by Latimer Needham entitled Aircraft Design. From it, they found the necessary physics, engineering and design assistance to build their glider. They based the aircraft on the pre-war Luton Buzzard glider, but tinkering in their rooms, they soon realised that they would need a full workshop and a lot more space. The answer came to them quite easily, as the guards were intent on preventing escape from ground level or below ground, and the goons, as they were termed, paid little attention to the roofs. An attic space above the chapel was found, where they built a convincing false wall out of shutters and mud, which hid the last eight feet from view. An access trapdoor was built, giving access from below, and Project Heavy Industry began. The planned landing point of the glider was 300 feet below the castle, past the town and over the river Mould. The workshop also gave them access to the roof ridge above, where they planned to build a 60-foot runway out of tabletops. The launch would be achieved by assembling the glider on the roof on a trolley and attaching it to a bathtub full of cement. This would be pushed out of a window, pulling the glider with the rope to achieve, they hoped, a launch speed of around 30 miles an hour. The finished machine would have a 32-foot wingspan and, with the two occupants, weigh around 560 pounds. With the need to cover some 1,500 feet to get to safety, they hoped for a glide ratio of at least 1 in 5. The construction task they faced was enormous, as anyone who has built their own aircraft will attest. The materials for tools and the glider itself were scavenged from whatever was to hand. A wood plane was created from a table knife, drills from nails, handles from bedboards and saw blades from the spring of a wind-up gramophone. The control wires were made using electrical cable pulled from unused parts of the castle. The wing spars came from floorboards, and bed slats became the ribs. Some items, such as case and glue, came from bribery. To cover the frame, they used their blue and white check bed sheets, which were doped with hot millet, part of their rations, to tighten the material. Although these men had little to spend their time on, the construction of this marvel was tedious, to say the least. The team who built the aircraft were nicknamed the Twelve Apostles, but it took over 6,000 handcrafted components to build the little glider. 
all made and assembled in complete silence. In addition to the construction team, another 52 men were needed to keep lookout, scrounge raw materials and the like. Although the escape committee had originally agreed to allow the attempt, things were changing. The war was turning in favour of the Allies, and they had heard of the great escape that took place from Stalagluft III. Seventy-six men escaped in one night through a tunnel named Harry, after two other tunnels, Tom and Dick, became unusable. Despite the protestations of senior German officers such as Göring and Keitel, Hitler ordered 50 of the recaptured men to be executed in violation of the Geneva Convention. The takeoff for the little glider had been scheduled for the spring in 1945 during an air raid blackout, but by then the Allied guns could be heard and the outcome of the war was fairly certain. The head of the British Escape Committee decided that the glider should be held back and only used if the SS ordered the massacre of the prisoners. Finally, on the 16th of April, 1945, the American army liberated Kolditz, and the cock never flew. What the reaction of the liberators who were shown the aircraft was, is unknown but I would have loved to have seen their faces and those of the guards when it was revealed that a full-size glider had been built right under their noses. What became of the remarkable little aircraft isn't known, but it is believed to have been used as firewood during the austere post-war period. There is only one known photograph of it, taken by an American soldier, but the plans are still held by the Imperial War Museum and known as the Pink Plans. However, although the original aircraft no longer exists, since the war two attempts have been made to fly replicas. With the assistance of both Bill Goldflinch and Jack Best, a full-sized version was built from modern materials and successfully flown by John Lee at RAF Odium. Jack Best watched it fly, but sadly died the same year. That aircraft now resides in the Norfolk and Suffolk Aviation Museum. The second and more adventurous reconstruction was conducted at Colditz Castle itself. Duplicating the same workspace and using the same materials, Tony Hoskins and his glider repair company built a full-sized radio-controlled replica. This aircraft was successfully launched from the roof of the castle and flown down into the valley. Unfortunately, although the aircraft flew well enough and crossed the river, it was brought down a little firmly in order to ensure the safety of local houses that had been built on part of the landing field. Both those flights were made as part of a series of documentaries on the UK's Channel 4, were also shown in the USA. Nowadays there are plenty of YouTube clips available should you be interested. In the big scheme of things, this little handmade aircraft that never even flew hardly registers on the scale of aviation achievements. But the circumstances under which it was conceived, designed and built 
from tools that were themselves magicked from almost nothing is truly amazing. Their tiny secret workshop was housed in the most secure POW camp that Germany could devise. They handmade their tools, they improvised, they scrounged, they stole, they bribed, and they worked under the constant threat of discovery. That is what makes this one of the most remarkable aviation stories I have ever encountered.